0: Well, good morning, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you please enable me this morning to speak your truth and would you enable each of us with all that's going on for each one of us, would you enable us to hear you? And we pray that hearing your voice, understanding your word, we might live it out as your faithful people and this we ask in Jesus name, amen well what do you want to be found doing at the moment when jesus returns if you knew he would be here in half an hour what would be your first instinct if somehow you were let in on the father's timetable and you knew that jesus would be returning in five years time what would you want to be doing then the value of questions like that is that they can help us to see whether we really are expecting Jesus to return and whether that expectation makes any difference at all to what we're doing now, today, this week, this month, this year. A friend of mine suggests that a good diagnostic exercise is to try to finish this sentence. Because I expect Jesus to return, I am... And I thought that for something different. We might try that this morning ourselves. So for the next couple of minutes, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you and see whether you can both come up with your own second half of that sentence. Because I expect Jesus to return, I am... Over to you, just for a couple of minutes. Okay. I think that's enough interaction for this sermon. I'd love to hear the answers that you came up with sometime. Well, in the passage that uh, Peter read for us a few moments ago, from Matthew 24 and 25, we're still in that last piece of public teaching from Jesus recorded in Matthew's Gospel. It's the last of the five great discourses, often known as the Olivet Discourse, because, well, he gave it on the Mount of Olives, of course. And you might remember that it is, in one sense, a long answer to the inquiry made by the disciples back in verse 3 of chapter 24. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Jesus began by answering the second half of their question, talking about false christs wars natural disasters persecution and betrayal a great tribulation and in the midst of it the preaching of the gospel to all the nations but now in the verses peter read for us jesus returns to the first part of the question you want to know when how long what's the date well no one knows the day and hour not the angels who regularly announce God's purposes. Not even the son, I don't know, but only the father. You cannot know because no one knows, only the father. I was once told uh, that a sure sign that you have a false teacher amongst you is that the person suggests they do know. So if you Google list of dates predicted for apocalyptic events, yeah, it was a slow day, You'll come up with a Wikipedia page, and everything it seems you can find on Wikipedia the wild, the woolly, and the wacky. And it's actually, if you go to that page, you'll find a table of claimants and their predictions through the centuries. And there's some interesting and surprising names on that list, and some who are not so surprising. Uh, those of you in second year won't be surprised that Joachim of Fiori is on that list, and Thomas Munster and Melchior Hoffman but there's also Hilary of Poitiers he thought it would happen in 365. Martin Luther he shot for no later than 1600 and John Wesley he thought 1836 clearly even the great ones didn't pay enough attention to these words of Jesus either no one can know Jesus said it might be in half an hour it might be next week. It might be 500 years into the future. You don't know. You can't know. Now, as we've noticed a couple of times as we've worked our way through this gospel, Jesus never said anything just for the sake of it. Everything he said for a reason. And it was recorded for us for a reason too. So, why say this? Well as this passage unfolds Jesus will tell three parables. The parable of the faithful or wicked servant, the parable of the ten virgins, and the parable uh, of the talents. And each of them highlights a different aspect of Jesus' one main point through these verses. Did you notice it? Be ready. Stay alert. Be prepared. Make the most of the opportunities you've been given in the meantime be ready you might not know when it will happen but you can certainly know that it will happen so be ready but before we look very briefly at those three parables there are two other things Jesus wants us to know first it will happen when otherwise everything seems normal when everything just seems to be normal it's going to be just like it was leading up to the flood you see People were eating and drinking, we'd say whining and dining. People were married and being given in marriage. The ordinary patterns of everyday life were just going on as they always had. Sure, Noah had been preaching, but they weren't listening. There's that crackpot down the road is always talking about the end of the world, forget about him. And then Noah went into the ark, and the Lord shut him in, and the first drop of rain fell and they were blissfully unaware until it was too late they were swept away it was an awful judgment and they didn't know it was coming and so it made no difference at all to the way they carried on their lives they just kept doing what they'd always did when the end comes jesus was saying it will come when everything seems to be going on like it always has will be enrolling and graduating students here at Moore College. Politicians will still be seeking to be elected and to stay elected. Ministry will be happening. Global mission will be proceeding. Restaurants will be serving meals. New movies will be playing in the cinemas or on Netflix or whatever the platform is those days. There'll be births and weddings and funerals. The cycle of life will continue as it always has. And you won't be able to tell just by looking that in the midst of it all, there are those who are ready for judgment and those who are not. It will all seem as if it could go on forever. Everything will seem normal. And then he will come. So stay alert. You don't know what day your Lord will come. The second thing Jesus wants us to know as he leads into these three parables is that Not knowing raises the stakes. Not knowing raises the stakes. If you knew when, then all you'd have to do is be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Jesus' startling illustration is the thief who relies on the fact that you don't know when he's coming so that he can get on with what he wants to do unannounced. If you knew when he was coming, if he'd made an appointment... If you were expecting him, you could just be waiting there by the window or inside the door with your favorite policeman or ex-policeman beside you, ready to nab him, prevent him from coming in and looting your house. But you don't know when. So you have to be security conscious all the time. And the startling thing about this illustration is that Jesus is saying he's like the thief. He will come without an appointment, without a predetermined date or time, you can't get away with saying, oh, I don't have to worry about that for the moment. There'll be plenty of notice. No, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Not knowing raises the stakes. Everything will seem normal. And not knowing raises the stakes. And the proper response, what Jesus wants his disciples and us to do in response is to simply be ready. And the three parables he goes on to tell next are all about what it looks like to be ready. You don't know when it will happen. Everything will be going on just as it has before. There won't be any prearranged appointment. You must be ready all the time. What does that look like? well the first of the three the faithful and wise servant doing what has been asked of him the first of Jesus stories is about a servant given the responsibility to care and provide for the household of his master it seems the master goes away for a while indeed the master is delayed so he's away for a long while the servant then has a choice will he keep feeding the household keep caring for them keep guarding them? Or will he see the master's delay as an opportunity to feed himself, to care for himself, to serve his own interests? If he goes one way, he is faithful and wise and takes seriously the responsibility he's been given to care for those who are not his but belong to someone else. And if that's what he's doing when the master comes home, then he can expect his master to be thrilled and to reward him. But if he goes the other way and lines his own pockets, pursues his own comfort, pleasure, amusement, almost inevitably treating others poorly because he's only interested in himself, then the unexpected return of his master The Lord of that servant, as we're reminded in verse 50, will prove to be a catastrophe for him. How he treats others while the master is away, others whom the master has entrusted to his care, really does matter. And negligence and abuse in this area will receive the most terrible retribution. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think that's a story that should particularly unsettle us here in this place preparing to take up the responsibility to care for christ's people and gather those who are still lost there is a real accountability in the future and you have no idea of the day on which you will need to stand before him it could be today it should send a shiver down our spines but i take it we should not uh, limit this to those who have responsibility for a christian congregation or a bible study group or some other form of ministry it might be a wife or husband children the extended family or circle of friends entrusted to your care they're not yours in the end are they they're his how they are treated in the time until he returns matters to him and you don't know the hour your lord will return now that adds a note of urgency doesn't it jesus began this story in a slightly unusual way did you notice it who then is the faithful and wise servant pretty sure the first disciples were meant to hear the subtext is it you and i'm confident it's been recorded for us just like this so that we can hear it too will you be the faithful servant the faithful and wise servant who's engaged in the sacrificial care of those entrusted to you on the day and at the hour the lord returns that's what it's like to be ready the second story the maidens prepared for a long wait The second story Jesus tells is well known to us and uh, Philip Kern very helpfully spent some time on it a couple of weeks ago. It was and is a familiar picture in the Middle East. Ten single women, all invited to a wedding feast, part of the reception party when the new groom brings his bride home to to start their life together. And we're told at the start that five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. If the wicked servant in the first story overestimated the delay of his master, he won't be back for a long time. I can do what I want. Then the foolish young women underestimated it. He won't be all that long, really. But they, like the servant indeed, were not in control of the timetable. And they were not prepared for a long wait. They were half-hearted in their commitment to this responsibility. They might have been all excited when the invitation was issued, but they weren't ready for all that was involved, and they were not prepared. Enthusiastic beginnings, you see, are not enough. You need to be prepared for the long haul. When the cry eventually does go out and they stand up, smooth out their skirts and pick up their torches, their foolishness becomes apparent. The bridegroom had been delayed and their torches had gone out. The five wise young women can't give them their oil because then there might be nobody to greet the happy couple when they arrive. And so their foolishness is exposed. And the foolish maidens rush to the markets, late night markets are a feature of life in that region today, perhaps they were then too. And they try to get the oil they need. And here is the real tragedy in the story. It seems they were able to get some oil. They buy their oil and relight their lamps and return to the scene of the feast. But by the time they get back, it's too late. And there is no way in. They were not prepared, not prepared for it to take this long. And they lost the opportunity to join in the celebration when the bride and groom arrived friends i don't have to tell you it's coming up to two thousand years since jesus ascension into heaven the return didn't happen a week or two later or a year or a century it has been a long wait and peter in one of his letters speaks about the kindness of the delay and god patiently provides time for more people to repent so christian discipleship And yes, Christian ministry as a form of Christian discipleship is long-term, not short-term. Yet time and time again, our thinking is only short-term. And we sacrifice the long-term in our pursuit of the short-term. We don't get ready for the long-term because we're fixated on the short-term. We're caught short in the long-term because we took only what we needed for the short-term. Shouldn't we have learnt the lesson from church history? The slow burn has a much more lasting effect than the flash in the pan. You need to watch and keep watching for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You need to be prepared, to be disciplined, to be planning for long-term faithfulness. That's what it's like to be ready. Well, the third story, the servants making the most of the opportunities entrusted to them. The third story is equally well known, isn't it? The parable of the talents. It's introduced by the little word for, because it's the complement to the story that's just been told. Three servants are entrusted with a ludicrously large amount of cash while their master goes away. The talent was the largest unit in Greek currency, most likely equivalent to around three quarters of a million dollars today. So the man entrusted with five talents was operating with about three and three quarter million Australian dollars in in our currency. And the man with two talents, about one and a half. And the man with one talent, 750,000. And the master is no fool. He knows the limits of each man and so he gives to them according to their ability. These massive resources are placed in their hands. They become his partners in this enterprise. And we wait to see what they'll do with such an extraordinary amount of cash. Once again, we're told that the master was away for a long time just as the groom was delayed in the second parable and the master was delayed in the first. The delay is itself an important part of each of the three stories, and there are so many links between each of these stories. It gives time for the servant to decide how he will treat those he he was expected to care for. It gives time for the preparation of the wise maidens to expose the lack of preparation of the foolish ones. It gives time for the three servants to work with the capital base that each had been given. And when the master returns, at least two of his servants are overjoyed. You can almost taste their excitement as they take the master's investment back to him and show him how they've grown it. Well done, good and faithful servant, they hear. Both the servant with the five talents and the servant with the two talents hear the same thing. Because in both cases, they sought to maximise what was entrusted to them. But the focus of the parable is on the third servant, since he's the one who provides us with the warning. If the foolish maidens in the previous parable thought the task was too easy, well, get by with just that, we don't need any extra, we'll just take the torches. That would all be over and done quickly and not too many resources were needed. Then the third servant in this parable considers the assignment too difficult. There's too much risk. It requires too much effort. And then there's the temperament of the master to consider. He's hard. He expects more than he has a right to expect. And what if I lost some of what he's given me to invest? So he digs a hole and buries the money. At least he'll have all of it to Give back to make sure that the master gets his his investment when the master returns he triumphantly presents the money that he's been given but with no interest no capital gain no growth i'm not sure whether he expected to be commended for the safe and secure way that he dealt with what he'd been given or not perhaps he'd seen what the others had done Perhaps the reason why he rehearses what the master is like to the master's face is because he knows he's not done as well as the others, but it's all the master's fault, really. But in reality, it was not the safety and security of the resources he'd been given that was his chief concern. It was his own. The response he gets from the master cuts through whatever smoke screen and defence he's tried to make. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew, did you? that I reap where I have not sown and expect to gather where I have not scattered. And instead of being entrusted with even more responsibility as a reward for his diligence, what happens next is that this man has taken from him what he had and is cast out. And once again, the judgment is terrifying. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, these three men had been given resources to use in a way that would further the interests of their master. Each was required to give an account of the stewardship of the resources that were not their own, but only of the resources entrusted to them. They were not to be distracted by the fact that fellow partners had different resources. And when the master returned, they weren't compared with each other. His question was simply what each had done with what had been given to them. The numerical success was never as important as the faithfulness with what had been given to them. Being found faithfully making the most of the opportunities given to us to advance the interests of the Master. That's what it's like to be ready. We are not given to know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. But what are we going to do while we wait what are you going to do while you wait we do not have to spend the time trying to establish ourselves trying to gain the favor of the lord who will return none of the characters in this story had to do that in the first story the servant did not have to care for the household in order to receive a place in the household he was already a servant entrusted with the task in the second the young women did not have to show themselves prepared for the long haul in order to get an invitation they'd already been invited and in the third story the three men did not have to demonstrate their skill in handling investments in order to be servants their master makes partners in the enterprise they're already been entrusted with extraordinary wealth but in each case because they knew the that of the master or the bridegroom's return even if they did not know the when they should have been alert they should have watched they should have been ready in this way knowing the end determines the shape and priorities of the present he is coming back as he said earlier in chapter 24 the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other that is a certainty and since we know that what difference will it make to what you're going to busy yourself with this hour this day and in ever how many days it takes he returns because i expect jesus is coming back i am will you pray with me heavenly father we thank you for the promise of jesus return and we thank you for these words from him that remind us encourage us warn us to be alert Would you please, by your Spirit, enable us to hear these words and heed them for the glory of Jesus and the furthering of your purpose. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.